Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Hey guys, uh, today we have Dr. David Lay on the show with us. He is a author as well as a 
therapist? Sex therapist. Sex therapist. Sexologist. We've got an interesting topic today. Uh, he's written quite a few books on the topic of porn and how it affects relationships. Uh, his most recent one is titled... Ethical Porn for Dicks, A Man's Guide to Watching and Viewing Porn. Ethically, right? Ethical. Uh, yeah. I think... Ethically. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, just we hope you enjoy. Uh, we found it very interesting, a lot of great information. I think one of the most important things that I took away from it was the fact that you need to be able to communicate with your partner. I think he said something about 90% of couples don't actually talk about porn and uh, their conception within their relationship. So I think, um, yeah. Talk about it. And, and a quote came to mind I'm not sure who it's from, but they said success in life is based on the number of uncomfortable conversations you have. And I think it's really true. So it's not an easy conversation to have with your significant other. Most likely, if you're listening to this, you have viewed porn and that is fine and normal. So understand that and then talk to your partner about it. It will only help your relationship. Absolutely. So enjoy. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. We are excited to welcome Dr. David Lay to today's show. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Dr. Lay is a clinical psychologist and sex therapist from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's the author of three books on sexuality and appears in a wide variety of media from Time Magazine to Hustler Magazine. We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Um, well, you know, I'm a, a fairly traditional clinical psychologist. I, you know, I work in traditional mental health kind of backing um, and services. <clears throat> But for, for much of my career, I've worked with folks um, in sexuality kind of related issues, started with sex offenders, and then started working with folks in alternative sexuality kind of relationships and practices. One of the things I've seen over the years is that folks in mental health have uh, very little training and expertise in dealing with sexuality issues. And so oftentimes, they're making judgments based on um, typically just their personal experience with sexuality which you know brings a level of subjectivity and unfortunately moral bias into treatment so for a long time what i've been doing has been writing and doing trainings for therapists around how to address sexuality issues in the course of therapy um, without making what are oftentimes, you know, kind of morally based or, or say, you know, culturally based uh, judgments around what kind of sexuality or what kind of relationships are healthy. Yeah, and I got to say, I was listening to you, uh, how I discovered you was on um, Dr. Chris Ryan's podcast, and it was kind of like a revelation to me. I, I consider myself, you know, pretty self-aware and you mentioned the sexuality and how culture uh, can affect it even for therapists you know providing therapy and it kind of just opened up my eyes to like how much I've been influenced by being raised in the United States and in my views on sexuality it's it's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. I mean, I I had personal experience in this. I mean, I um, I started in this in this kind of writing and, and sort of track many years ago when I ran across a couple of couples 
that were non-monogamous and lived a pretty unique kind of sexual lifestyle that was focused on female infidelity with the husband's permission. And even though I was a pretty sex positive and and fairly affirming uh, clinician at the time, my initial reaction to that was, wow, you know, that must be unhealthy. But both of these two couples that I met in, in a research kind of situation were very, very healthy. They had incredible communication skills relationships and marriages that were decades long, um, very professional and educated. And I had to then question myself, why did I assume that these relationships or that these practices were unhealthy? And I had to realize at the time that my my judgment was based on you know, our cultural um, ideas around monogamy and what kind of relationships are healthy, but also around female sexuality and that so many of these social expectations, at least in our culture, are really targeted towards uh, suppression and, and, and treating female sexuality as though it's less important. Um, that was a big revelation for me, and then I, I spent three years, um, you know, investigating and researching and writing, writing a book that eventually became a book um, called Insatiable Wives um, about female sexuality. Yeah, and it's funny, use, I use the word revelation, and, and I think you felt the same way, because it's like, it just opens up this whole area that you're like, you're seeing everything through a cultural lens, and then questioning that, it, it, it's uh, it's pretty interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, you know, it, it, a lot of my career, I mean, a lot of my personality fits this, you know, I was, I was born with one hand and even though it's not a particularly disabling disability, it forces me to, um, approach the world in a little bit of a different way and to find my own way to do things and to, always, you know, kind of cognitively look at the way we're doing things and and question, is that the only way to do it? And clinically, I I do a lot of the same things. You know, I I look at the ways that we are approaching a lot of issues and I always have a question, is this way the only way and is it necessarily the right way just because that's the way we've been doing it for a long time? Yeah, I love that. I think it's healthy to to question things. And uh, today's topic is certainly an area that is uh, very influent. Our culture has a lot to say on it. And I want to zero in because I could I think we could talk about about (laughs) so many different things that that are that's uh, sexuality and the way culture uh, affects it. But it's um, porn and how it can affect our relationships. So let's dive right in. And what do you find uh, the number one problem porn causes in relationships? Well, um, you know, I, I actually argue that universally when porn-related problems walk in the door, porn is a symptom. It's never, ever a cause. And, um, you know, and I've been tracking this for a long time. Um, we've done research on it. A lot of folks have done research on this. Um, and it's very, very easy when issues come in um, that are porn-related to say, oh, porn caused this problem. But consistently, porn is just an indicator of other issues. So, for instance, you know, for many years, there's been research that shows that men have um, 
many men uh, display higher rates of depression and anxiety along with high rates of porn use. And so for a long time, people were under the impression that this was indicating that porn was causing these emotional problems. When in fact, longitudinal research that followed men across time actually found that it was the reverse, that men get depressed and anxious and stressed out, and then they start using more porn as a way to cope with the feelings. That, again, was kind of a revelation for me and for a lot of folks in the field as we realized that what was going on here is that Men in our society have less ability and support in coping with negative feelings. We're, we're not usually able to talk about them or identify them, to ask for help in dealing with them. And men oftentimes go to porn and sex as a way to cope with those feelings and feel better. So as I see men, and I see lots and lots of men that come into my office that, for instance, have gotten in trouble for looking at porn at work um, or, or have gotten in trouble um, within their marriage because they're looking at, quote, too much porn, and we should talk about whatever that means. But um, overwhelmingly, the number one issue that I find is that these are men who don't have good coping skills and good strategies to deal with depression, stress, isolation, anxiety, and they're using porn because it, it, it is a way to feel better. These men need help, but porn's not the issue. Porn is just an indicator that these men need other strategies, need, need support in figuring out how to better deal with those feelings. Absolutely. And, and so what could a significant other do in this case to help them feel like they don't have to go to porn when they're feeling these things? Boy, you know, that's such a good question. I really like that. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I've really worked with a lot of couples with and with men in those situations is just trying to identify, you know, what are the issues that aren't being talked about? What are the issues um, that, for instance, the man is struggling with in terms of um, depression at work or within the relationship? You know, for instance, um, after uh, a divorce, men's use of pornography oftentimes goes up because you've got a lonely, oftentimes horny man um, who doesn't have that outlet. Helping a man to talk about, um, even acknowledge that they may be using porn and that that is not anathema, that it is um, you know, an indicator not of, of shame and fear. I think you know, the, the number one way you know, a partner can help you know, their, their spouse around porn is to just start a conversation. Um, hey, sometimes you know, I, I notice that, that you're looking at porn and I just wanted to talk about that in terms of what porn means to you. Um, what kind of porn you like to watch and what that might mean about you and your sexuality. Um, I, it, it, this is, I think, the biggest issue is that couples aren't able to have a conversation about porn because there's so many unspoken assumptions that you know, looking at porn is infidelity or that looking at porn means that uh, there's something within the relationship that is lacking. That, you know, porn somehow, porn or even masturbation take away from a, a relationship. Um, and so as a result, people keep it secret. People treat it as shameful. 
And it is those secrets that ultimately harm relationships. The more we can help people to just open up a conversation and explore um, what porn is and isn't for a person, oftentimes the more um, effective and healthier outcomes there can be. Yeah. And like so many things we talk about, it, like you just mentioned, it's about communication. So talking to your partner about these things in the open and, and not having part of their mm-hmm. life that they, they're keeping secret because it can be both sides, you know, the, the men and the women. Absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, for instance, I, I like to give, you know, kind of case examples so people understand kind of where I'm coming from. You know, a man came to me and, you know, his wife was concerned that <clears> – <throat> He was watching too much porn and that they weren't having sex because he was watching so much porn. Well, you know, because I I approach all of these issues where the, you know, viewing the porn as a symptom and not as a cause, I started digging and I found out that, you know, this couple, they were on different work schedules. And so, you know, when he was ready to go to bed and exhausted, she was ready to go because she, you know, she was just getting home from work. And so schedule wise, they're, you know, they had to, they had to adapt their sexuality to their schedule. But secondly, um, you know, she was really concerned that uh, he was not attracted to her because he and she were both overweight. And I asked him one day, you know, what, what kind of porn do you watch? And it turns out he watches um, big, beautiful women porn. He watches porn with women whose bodies look like the body of his wife. And I said, well, does your wife know that? And, she, and he said, no. I said, well, what if you shared that with her? Because it sounds like she is concerned that, you know, you're watching these skinny bimbos in porn and that that actually reveals that you're attracted to that and not to her. And he came, he went home, he talked to her, and he came back and he said, wow, she feels much better. And the other thing that they negotiated was what if you negotiated that you would only masturbate to porn, you know, after you guys have had you know, sex two or three times in a week, whatever, whatever you negotiate and figure out. And again, he went home and he talked to his wife, negotiated it, and he came back and he said, you know, that really fixed the issue. Now she feels like porn is not taking the place of her, but now it is just a, an outlet that I have within my life and sexuality that, that, that we can negotiate and manage and that we fit into the relationship. But before we started asking those questions and encourage them to have those dialogues, all of those things were sitting there with these fear and shame and panic and loss, like landmines that were ready to blow up in the face of the marriage. Yeah. It's crazy how things can build up like that. And it's, it sounds so simple. Like just talk about it, communicate and so many things come down to that. You know, we talked about culture and society, and there is like this such a shame and put around pornography that that it it makes it hard to talk about. I think. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Now, now I always have to point out that most of the modern anti-porn arguments are, in truth, anti-masturbation arguments. You know, ninety to ninety-five percent of porn use involves masturbation as well and you know during the 1800s uh you know kellogg's cornflakes and graham crackers were invented because they were foods that were supposed to not trigger masturbation (laughs) yeah i I remember i I heard you discussing that like what what 
Can you give us just a quick story? Like, why did they do that? <laughs> well, they had the idea that spicy foods um, triggered people to focus on their bodies too much. And that when we are too focused on our bodies and our physical sensations, that that, that leads to sensuality and, and sexuality. And so, you know, granola bars were invented, um, you know, to uh, as a bland food that wouldn't make people want to masturbate. Um, graham crackers as well, although, as I often say, you know, I don't think they, you know, anticipated s'mores because when you add marshmallow and chocolate, <laughs> that graham cracker gets pretty sexy. Yeah. <laughs> But today, you know, most of the arguments and fears of, of pornography are actually of masturbation and fear especially of masturbating to these fantasies. Now, you know, in today's society and in today's marriage, um, if a husband went to his wife and said, you know, I want to know what, you ma- what, what you're fantasizing about when you masturbate in the bathtub, and it better be me that you're thinking about, all of us would raise our eyebrow and say, wait a minute, dude, that's not okay. But unfortunately right now, we are raising that same kind of question when we challenge the idea that a man masturbating to pornography is somehow different, that that fantasy somehow takes away from the marriage and that masturbating to these images is a form of infidelity. And it also is a deep deep-seated fear that there are fantasies and forms of sexuality that people just shouldn't have, that they shouldn't think about, and that they shouldn't indulge. Um, and people are afraid to have those conversations because oftentimes they're afraid of what, what they'll find out. You know, 90% of people never share their sexual fantasies with anyone, much less their partner or their therapist. Um, porn is sexual fantasy made visual so that now somebody else could see what your fantasy is what your what what turns you on and that's scary to people it's scary to us to see what turns somebody else on because maybe it's something we don't like right right yeah it, it's it's so fascinating just like i said when i personally having this revelation and i i didn't grow up super conservative or anything like that but sexuality was like just kind of this I guess the easiest way to put it was like embarrassing for me to talk about you know like if I was watching a movie with my parents and and there was a sex scene you know like a PG-13 and it's like it's crazy and then when you realize I mean I don't think that's crazy for a 13 year old I mean they might be embarrassed but just what culture sort of tells us how shameful it is and and then especially dealing with pornography and then like you said I I I think that's interesting how you say it's really about masturbation because yeah that exactly I think that's exactly it but it's it's as natural as eating food is it not um I would say yes but we have to we have to acknowledge that we treat sexuality as though it is different we treat sexuality as though it is a different different from feeling sad you know that that being turned on is different from feeling happy that the desire to have sex is different from the uh, desire to eat Um, as a psychologist I view all of these things really as human behaviors 
um, all of them important, no, none of them more important than any other. But, you know, we have to recognize that um, many people uh, instinctively view sexuality as unique and different um, for good and for bad. I mean, I, I think intimacy and sexual love is, is a beautiful, wonderful thing and maybe one of the most beautiful, wonderful things. But it's also one of the things that we instinctively mistrust and distrust, and we we distrust them even more when we have very little education and understanding of them. Um, one of the things that I think is just critically important to talk about in this conversation is that the it is the people who are um, coming into the modern world of sexuality – with uh, very limited sexual education, with very strong religious values, who are struggling the most. That you know, the identification as a porn addict is predicted by religious values, not by how much porn you watch. And that the people who are struggling the most and feeling that their porn use is the most out of control are the people who are the least prepared to manage a world that includes porn because they've been taught from an early age that masturbation and any sex outside heterosexual monogamous marriage is inherently immoral. And now those people can, within five seconds, jump online and see all the hardcore porn they want. They're the ones who struggle the most, and and they're the ones that I really have to acknowledge are in pain because you know their their church and their religion, their community, their marriage, their parents have all taught them that these desires are not okay and should be suppressed, and then they indulge the desires in that control moments notice when they're when they're stressed out and they jump online and look at porn and then feel guilty about it you know the the self-identified porn addict and all the research that has been done today actually doesn't use more porn than other people but they feel worse about it and so i think it's that that worse about it that we need to understand and figure out how we can help them with for our listeners who um may be in that situation what would be the first thing you would tell them to be able to manage that shame and that you know, what they're going through. You know, I spent a lot of time on this in my new book, um, uh, which is called, uh, you know, it's about ethical porn and, and responsible use of pornography for men, um, is that I asked them to start thinking about and identifying what are their values about pornography and sex? What are the things that they think about porn and sex in terms of what makes, um, what makes sex healthy? And, uh, you know, there is similar research that um, people who have casual sex who think that casual sex is immoral and unhealthy end up feeling bad and ashamed about it. But people who have casual sex who think that casual sex is a fun recreation and, and, and a fine way to enjoy yourself, they don't feel bad about it. The way to help those people is to help them understand and consider those values. So, for instance, you know, another parallel is that there are many people who grew up in very conservative um, families or communities, and then as adults they identify as gay, and they then have to spend some time 
unpacking their sexual values and their relationship values to figure out what do I adopt now as adult values. Um, you know, we no longer stone people for adultery, um, even though that is, you know, biblically supported. And as adults, we have to now figure out what are the values that we want to adopt and, and endorse in our lives. Those are the questions that I ask these kinds of folks as they come to me. I also do a lot of education around normality, you know, normalizing uh, sexual response to pornography. And, you know, the fact that you are turned on by this doesn't mean a lot. It just means kind of that was the way that you were made. So, for instance, there are a lot of men and women as well who worry about what it means that they get turned on looking at whether it's homosexual pornography or some kind of pornography or erotica that they were taught was bad. Um, it is now an opportunity for them to explore their values. You know, for a while, uh, after Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I had um, probably a half a dozen couples come to me where the wife or girlfriend really wanted to be dominated um, like in Fifty Shades of Grey, and the boyfriend or husband felt bad about it, felt like it conflicted with his values, that engaging in that kind of behavior felt like being a rapist and didn't feel good. So those couples came to me, and we had to help the the, the couple work through how to resolve those values. Could they in, could they embrace that sort of sexuality within their relationship and feel healthy about it or not and make those decisions in conscious, thoughtful, and authentic ways? That's such valuable information. And, and whether, you know, our listeners, if it's an individual who's struggling with the shame, I, I think that's great. But I can tell you just – in a relationship, if you can talk about these things and just for you know your sexuality, what porn use and, and openly talk about them, uh, it can make your relationship so much stronger. And like Sarah and I have been together almost a decade. And like I said, we have this podcast, we're, we're working on a relationship and we had never really talked about these things, not because of any particular reason other than we had this or me personally had this sort of not too much shame but just kind of like embarrassed and that's my own wife and and it just speaks to i think how powerful this uh this cultural and societal uh influence on us can be so i imagine absolutely yeah yeah you know, I, I, I did a talk in, in Salt Lake City in Utah for um, you know, a large group of, of, of Mormons um, who are very concerned and very afraid of pornography, um, and, and they kind of should be because you know, the access to pornography is challenging some of their, some of their values and, and social and religious concerns about sexuality. Um, but after I did the talk, um, this one guy reached out to me and he said, you know, after listening to you talk, I'm now ready to talk to my wife about my porn use and what it means to me. And can you help me? And so I shared with him my new book and we, you know, he, he then went and talked to his wife and came back and he said, wow, you know, we realized that for me, 
pornography is a tool for arousal the same way that her vibrator is for her. And it was it was such a union that, that I thought was just so healthy that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had these conversations. And I think that there is so much shame and so much fear. You know, there are so many men who are who are struggling with porn use um, because they feel very alone in it. You know, there are a lot of women as well who, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Women search for rough sex pornography um, at three times the rate of men because women, as again, related to the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon, women are, are more aroused and turned on by that kind of material that it, it, it sort of taps those fantasies more. And there are a lot of women who are – there are a lot of women who are ashamed of liking that and being turned on by it because they feel like it makes them – not a feminist and that they shouldn't be aroused by the idea of being taken by an aggressive male. And I think that those shames and those fears get in the way of a deeper relationship, greater acceptance, greater understanding of oneself and one's partner. Yeah, I think they absolutely do. And and I would tell our listeners that it, it will do you so much good if whether you're in a relationship or not, to kind of understand that you shouldn't be ashamed and, and to work up the courage and to talk about it with your partner. It's gonna, it might be really hard, and it will be, uh, to, to start that conversation. But once you do, like, it's going to make your relationship so much better. Yeah, I think it, it opens the door to understanding you know some of the depths of each other understanding some of the places where you know you and your partner overlap and some of the places where you don't and i think that that's the scary place you know what if what if your partner you know is bisexual and you're in a heterosexual marriage and you're monogamous and you're trying to figure out how do I, you know, manage that desire for that same sex behavior, um, that same sex arousal or desire, um, without my partner feeling neglected or left out? And then you've got to wrestle with the partner who is knowing, wow, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the sexual parts, I don't have the genitals that you're attracted to when you're watching that porn and does it does it take something away um one of the things that i like to talk about in the in this kind of area is that there's research that looked at couples and looked at marriages in terms of the long-term effects of pornography and you know when a wife watches pornography whether the husband knows or not it's typically better for the it typically correlates with a healthier relationship outcome when a husband watches pornography with the wife's consent and knowledge, it's typically better for the relationship. And when a couple watches pornography together, it's typically better for the relationship. But it is only when a husband watches pornography in secret from the wife that it consistently predicts a negative outcome. And in that case… It's not the pornography that's the problem, but it's the secrecy, and it's the fact that this is a relationship where for one reason or another, the husband is unable to talk to the wife about their sexual desires and needs and negotiate that within the marriage. 
it is healthier for relationships to have some openness and some transparency around these issues better definitely makes the relationship and the marriage better. Well, all great information that that's really actionable. And, and again, I'll encourage our listeners because just personally, it's made a big difference in, in our relationship to talk about these things openly. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. Oh gosh, I didn't know I was on a quiz show. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're pretty easy and quick. What is one thing <laughs> that people can do on a daily basis to improve their sexual component of their relationship? Hmm. You know, I encourage people to indulge asexual fantasy every day, whether it's about your partner um, or just some random fantasy. You know, whether it's when you're, you know, riding in the elevator on your way up to the office, take a moment and just kind of celebrate the eroticism and sexuality that is in your that is in your mind. And the more we can do that, I think the more we can share that eroticism with our partner. I love that. And, and it's about I think the more you suppress something, the more it builds up in, in negative, negative outcomes. And, yeah. and that's kind of like just getting it out there. And the less control you have of it when you suppress it, when you when you explore it and understand it, we actually gain greater control. Exactly. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for those interested in learning more about porn and relationships? Um, well, my new book um, called Ethical Porn for Dicks, A Man's Guide to Responsible Viewing Pleasure, um, is definitely one. Um, Marty Klein also has a great book uh, that just came out called His Porn, Her Pain, um, and and it also explores the way that these issues of, of pornography are coming out um, as problems within relationships. Um, I would say, you know, right now myself and Marty are two of the people that are really exploring the the fringes of this this issue. Great. Well, we'll be sure to add those two resources on our uh, website, I Do Podcast, on your show notes page. The next question, which is it's two parts, but the first part is something that you had mentioned earlier that we forgot to ask, which was how much porn is too much. Um, and then that kind of leads into this next question is if you can give one piece of advice for individuals or couples who are struggling with porn, what would it be? Mm -hmm. So maybe those can kind of coincide together. Put those together. Yeah. You know, most research about, you know, pornography use identifies that an hour to an hour and a half of porn use a day is on the extreme end. Now, um, I always put that in context that Americans watch about five hours of television a day, and so it's it's interesting to me that one-fifth the amount of, of television viewing in pornography is identified as extreme. Hmm. The – I think that too much is always a subjective and a contextual issue. But when I see folks and what I recommend in terms of the second part of the question, if porn is the only way that you are coping with problems and stress and anxiety, then you need some other strategies. Now, I worked with a man years ago who was, quote, addicted to model train collecting. With model trains, two down in the basement was the only way he 
was able to manage his depression and his stress, and his wife hated it. She couldn't get to the you know the washing machine because the basement was full of uh, model trains. That guy needed help, and people who are looking at porn as the only way that they can manage these feelings, they need help. And so it, for me, it's not about how much. It's more about what else are you doing. Now, when I see those folks I never actually tell them, stop watching porn. Instead, I tell them, start doing other things to manage these feelings. Um, you know, I, I, I get them exercising. I get them using meditation and mindfulness, um, journaling, tracking. I come up with a whole bunch of other coping strategies that they can use. And then when they come back, I don't ask them about the porn. I ask them about, are you using these other strategies? Because the more we can increase and develop a diversity of coping strategies, the problems related to this problematic coping strategy exist. That's great, great advice that uh, our listeners will be able to use. Well, some of our listeners are single and not in a relationship. So what advice would you give to them as they look for a happy relationship? Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm in an interesting place in my kind of career with this in that I now know a whole lot of sex workers and, and porn stars. And um, they, they tell me that they really enjoy when somebody reaches out to them and says, wow, you know, you're exactly the kind of person I want to be in a relationship with. And what I tell guys when they say that, or women as well, or looking at James Dean and, and thinking that's the guy I want to be with, <clears throat> is to be using your response, your emotional response, your sexual response to this material as a way to understand yourself better. Understand what you want in life. You know, if you are a person who is really, really strongly aroused by a person who is very submissive or a person who is very dominant or a person who is very sexually assertive um, in the pornography you watch, then that's maybe probably the kind of person that you should be looking for in a real-life relationship because that shows you – that's what you that's what turns you on and i think one of the mismatches that happens is that people look at that kind of pornography and then they go engage in a relationship with the person that they've been told this is the kind of person you should be in a relationship with view pornography and view eroticism in your life as a way to learn about yourself learn about your needs your desires and your reactions and then find a way to implement that instead of stalking or dreaming about that porn star or that movie star that you'd like to be with. Take that information and now try to find somebody in real life that fulfills those qualities for you. That's great advice is know thyself and and then you know, you'll, <laughs> you'll know what you're looking for. Absolutely. Well, David, we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. Um, the easiest for your listeners to find me is on Twitter, um, at Dr. David Lay. Last name is L-E-Y, so it's at D-R-D-A-V-I-D-L-E-Y. 
Um, uh, I also write pretty heavily on, on psychology today um, with uh, lots and lots of blogs about relationships, sexuality, mental health, um, and pornography. And then uh, all three of my books are very easily found on Amazon. Um, all of them are in Kindle version, and uh, I think your listeners would enjoy them. Well, our listeners can find all the information and links to today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab, and you'll be in the archives. And again, thank you so much for sharing your generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.